0: And welcome to the latest Funds Fan podcast brought to you by Kyle Caldwell and Sam Benstead. Later on in the podcast is an interview with a fund manager who invests in Asian markets, Fiona Yang, who is co-manager of the Invesco Asia Trust. The trust invests in undervalued Asian franchises. China is the biggest country waiting, it accounts for over a third of the portfolio, and it is the Chinese equity market that Yang has been adding to of late. So do stick around for that interview, which will be in around 10 minutes time. Before that, me and Sam will, as usual, be chatting about a couple of recent news stories that are related to funds and investment trusts. So Sam, let's start off with the latest league tables of funds and investment trust purchases in July. As regular listeners to the podcast and readers of our content will be familiar with, every month we publish the top 10 most bought funds and investment trusts. The lists give a snapshot of retail investor sentiment. And in July, it was interesting to see that some investors have been increasing exposure to risk assets. Sam, could you run through the details? Which funds and trusts entered the respective top tens? Of course,
1: yeah. July was a great month for investors, particularly those who own shares in highly rated growth stocks. The gains for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 were about 10% for the month which was the highest monthly return since 2020. II customers reacted by upping exposure to these markets with the Legal and General Technology Index, Bailey Gifford American and Invesco EQQQ Nasdaq 100 tracker, all new entries on their respective most bought lists. This came at the expense of defensive investments with the iShares Gold ETC dropping five places and All Weather Trust Capital Gearing and Ruffer also falling one place. Some of the funds falling off the most bought lists included the iShares Oil & Gas Exploration and Production ETF, Vanguard FTSE UK Equity Income Index, Guinness Global Energy and HSBC FTSE All World Index.
0: And while some investors have been upping risk, there's also still plenty of caution. And for funds, this is reflected by seven of the top 10 funds being passively managed, So therefore, investors, that are prepared to accept the market return minus the fees that those funds charge rather than seek out active fund managers who, of course, they may outperform and add value, but also they could fare worse than the market. Meanwhile, in our investment trust top 10, three wealth preservation strategies still feature, and that is capital gearing, rougher investment company and personal assets. Sticking with those three wealth preservation trusts, I think it's worth pointing out that while in July it was a strong month for markets, particularly um, US markets, two of the managers of those three trusts have in recent weeks been publicly warning why they think the bear market for stock markets is not over. There's an element, of course, of these four managers talking up their own books given that they invest in a very cautious manner, but they are well worth listening to. They have great reputations And in addition, they don't sit on their hands, they they act. And um, they've been reducing exposure to risk assets such as shares in order to reflect their bearish outlooks for stock markets. So first off, Duncan McInnes, who's the fund manager of the Ruffer Investment Company, he described the bear market as being only mid-grizzle. He said, we have high conviction that the bear market is not over and stocks are not yet a buying opportunity He knows that the central bankers have their hands tied in not being able to act by cutting interest rates or reintroduce quantitative easing in order to support asset prices, which are stocks and bonds, due to the fact that inflation is red hot. And in addition, Sebastian Lyon, who is the full manager of personal assets, he cautioned in his latest quarterly update that stock market relief is unlikely to arrive until a reversal of the Federal Reserve's aggressive tightening of monetary conditions or an indication that inflation is falling sharply. So in his words, one or both of those things need to happen um, for this bear market to end. So Sam, while the outlook is looking uncertain uh, in the months ahead, there's greater levels of optimism at the moment for bond markets. Could you explain why?
1: That's right. An historically bad first half of 2022 for the bond market means that bond investors can now capture high yields and have a good chance of capital gains too. Vanguard's active fixed income team put out a great piece of research on how bonds are back following their worst six months performance in more than 150 years. In this period, this year, emerging market bonds fell about 20%, uh, US high yield and global corporate bonds fell about 15%. So yields, which move inversely to price, now offer income above inflation forecasts for the next five years. Vanguard said that TINA, which applies for there is no alternative when applied to the stock market, is now over as bonds now finally offer a reasonable income again and have re-established their role as a portfolio hedge to equity risk. I think that from an income perspective, they are certainly right that it is now a great time to own bonds. Investment-grade bonds, which are the safest, yield about 5% and high yield can be double that. I interviewed Ariel Bezalel, manager of the Jupiter Strategic Bond Fund, and his strategy yields 8%. You can check out the YouTube video of that on our I.I. channel. However, bond prices could still fall further, so buying a bond fund may deliver what looks like a loss on paper. It all rests on what happens to inflation and how central banks react. Stickier inflation than expected would be bad news for bond prices.
0: And of course, an improvement in the performance of bonds would also save uh, multi-asset funds well, uh, particularly those that follow the 60%, 40% model, which is 60% in shares and 40% in bonds. Um, and on that front, I recently wrote an analysis piece that explained why that strategy has not performed well um, so far this year. And I looked ahead to whether returns will improve here on in. So you can check that out at ii.co.uk. We've got two more news stories to cover. The first concerns Scottish Mortgage. The trust has breached its 30% limit on unquoted shares. Sam, could you explain why that's happened and whether it's something that shareholders should be concerned about?
1: Yeah. DIY Investor Favourite Scottish Mortgage has in recent years branched out more and more into private stocks. And this is in a bid to find what it calls the world's best growth businesses. It upped the cap for this part of the portfolio from 25% to 30% last year. But because of falling public markets, but sticky private valuations, it has now exceeded that limit. In its June fact sheet, it revealed that it had 30.2% in private stocks across about 50 positions. While the private stock limit applies only at the time of investment, so Scottish Mortgage does not have to sell any companies. It does mean that it cannot add new positions or provide more funding for existing holdings. It's not a disaster, but I'm sure the fund managers would be more comfortable if they had a bit more flexibility. I reckon we'll see the limit lifted at one point next year, perhaps up to 50% like the Bailey Gifford US Growth Trust. For me, this isn't a red flag. You own Scottish Mortgage for its high octane stocks, and if those are in private markets, then they need to be able to access them. Its investment trust structure is also well suited to owning private companies.
0: And given the trust has had a very strong uh, July, and the share price is up around 18% over the past month, the chances are that that unquoted element of the portfolio will now be back below 30%. And for listeners of Funds Fan who'd like to learn more about how the unlisted companies in Scottish Mortgage um, are valued, then it's well worth listening back to our episode on the 12th of May when I interviewed Lawrence Burns, the Deputy Full Manager of Scottish Mortgage. And there was also a separate um, write up that explained uh, the process, which you can find on ii.co.uk. And finally, JP Morgan Russian Securities is back in the news. The Investment Trust is attempting to change its investment mandate in order to avoid being wound up. So Sam, what's the proposed change to how the Trust invests? It wants
1: to amend its remit to allow it to invest in emerging Europe, so not just Russia, as well as the Middle East and Africa. If the board gets approval from the Financial Conduct Authority, then shareholders will get a vote, probably in autumn, about what happens next. I expected the Trust to be wound up, if I'm honest, because foreign investment in Russia is likely to be off the table for years, and therefore investors should be given as much money back as possible. Branching out into the Middle East and Africa is a whole new investment path requiring requiring new fund managers. And in my opinion, there are not actually that many exciting companies in those parts of the world anyway.
0: It'll be interesting to see uh, which way that vote goes. Um, And when that happens, we will cover the results on ii.co.uk. Of course, a change in strategy can improve performance, but for me, as a general rule, um, if I owned a fund or an investment trust that changed its investment objective, I would probably in most cases sell because it would no longer be the same fund as it was when I bought it. Our fund manager guest for this episode is Fiona Yang, who is the co fund manager of the Invesco Asia Trust. The trust invests in undervalued Asian franchises. So, Fiona, could you run through the types of companies regarding the sectors and industries that such companies operate in?
2: Hi, Kyle. Uh, Thanks for having me here. Uh, So, at the Investco Asia Trust, we do invest in a wide range of sectors as well as countries. And being contrary investors, we tend to find undervalued opportunities in the areas of the market that other people tend to not like. Uh, for instance, we invested in an Indian auto and tractor conglomerates in early 2020. The COVID lockdown has brought concern on the overall Indian economic growth and demand for tractors as well as for cars. The conglomerate we invested in also faced operational challenges because uh, it has previously invested in global subsidiaries that are facing mounting losses. The market has therefore given it a huge conglomerate discount Uh, We have subsequently engaged actively with the management team who are determined to restructure the business. They have shut down unprofitable overseas subsidiaries, revamped its uh, uh, SUV product models, and enjoyed uh, the COVID reopening tailwind as well. As a result, our holding company has managed to significantly grow its earning as well as uh, uh, close down the conglomerate discount, uh, returning uh, decent uh, uh, performance to the shareholders. Another example is a Chinese real estate company we invested in. Uh, as you might be aware of, the Chinese real estate the sector was one of the least liked sector among investors given the tight uh, regulation in China as well as the Evergrande crisis We identified the opportunity to invest in a state-owned real estate developer, which has very strong balance sheet, as well as a solid execution track record. Because the sector itself has been dismissed by most investors as uninvestable, Uh, the high quality company that we invested in was trading at extremely attractive valuation. We invested in it on the basis that it will gain market share from the private uh, challenging developers given it has strong balance sheet, uh, as well as funding advantage. Again, this stock has become one of the best performing stocks in the portfolio over the past year.
0: And when you're looking for companies that are potentially undervalued, are there certain key things that you're looking for? And when a company is no longer cheap, do you then sell or do you run your winners and keep hold of it?
2: Yeah, so we when we do identify an interesting potential opportunity, we would first put out a preliminary phase one summary of uh, what are the areas we're going to further investigate on. Then we will spend a lot of time focusing on bottom-up fundamental analysis of the companies, going through their annual reports. Uh, we would then uh, do more in-depth work through communicating with the company's uh, management team, their competitors, uh, the sales side analysts, as well as industry experts. We would then put together a more comprehensive investment take case. Uh, typically, we will also have a financial model to estimate the fair value of the business. Then we would compare it uh, with uh, the current share price to determine whether the company is undervalued. Uh, Once we do think this is a great idea, we would uh, proceed on to a team discussion uh, setting uh, to welcome debate as well as challenges, uh, challenges from our colleagues before we make the decision to invest in the franchise or not. Uh, And being contrarian doesn't mean we will sell stocks uh, whenever they go up and we don't hold on to winners. It really depends uh, on the individual cases. Uh, We will continue to update our financial modeling to update our fair value estimation. And if it still comes to a point, you know, the stock is still undervalued, we will hold on to it. But uh, at the case where the stock is trading uh, where above our fair value assessment, we would uh, definitely practice our sell discipline and um, sell it.
0: In terms of um, geographical weightings, China is the biggest country weighting um, accounting for over a third of the trust assets. Is this where the best opportunities are to find these undervalued franchises? Or is it a function of China being the biggest country weighting in the MSCI All Country Asia X Japan Index, which is the investment trust benchmark?
2: Actually, we do see many exciting investment opportunities uh, in China. Uh, so fund has actually increased the China exposure by almost a 10 percentage point over the past four months. So we were significantly underweight um, China uh, the same time last year. Uh, but we do um, bring our position size to uh, a slight overweight right now because we have seen the policies are becoming much more supportive in China. If you look at the loan prime rates uh, have been cut twice already. The uh, uh, reserve requirement ratio has been lowered uh, quite aggressively as well, and the government has been issuing local government bonds uh, to reinvest into the economy. And on the property sector that we mentioned earlier, we have also seen many cities have eased up. Uh, property uh, purchase restrictions. The other point I want to highlight is that valuation for China is extremely attractive. The MSCI China index, uh, the forward price to earnings ratio is only 11.5 times and the 10-year average is actually around 14 times. Uh, So valuation is also at a much more comfortable position as compared to a year ago when everything appears uh, very expensive. Uh, And lastly, I just want to highlight uh, being overweight in China is also a reflection of our contrarian investment framework. We tend to find better investment opportunities in areas where market dislike. And China definitely fits in that as well.
0: Has part of your increasing exposure to China um, been made through the likes of Tencent and Alibaba? Um, obviously last summer there was a regulatory crackdown that unexpe- was unexpected um, and that um, impacted the technology industry that both those companies operate in um, and that crackdown was made by the Chinese government. Is there the prospect of further political intervention for Chinese tech in the coming years?
2: Um, Yeah, so the portfolio uh, continued to have selective exposures uh, to the Chinese internet company uh, and the 10 percentage point increase uh, in China weighting I mentioned earlier did include uh, uh, increasing exposure to internet stocks such as Tencent and Alibaba. The the internet company as a group has been struggling with regulatory tightening and concerns during a period of uh, slower economic growth and the impact on all these companies' growth as well. Um, And on the policy side, I think there are multiple strands to um, be paying attention to. New measures introduced have been focusing on combating antitrust practices, ensuring data security, as well as safeguarding uh, employees and uh, customers Uh, interest when we examine the absolute earnings impact from these changes on our portfolio companies. It appears uh, relatively small as compared to the market price reaction. That's why we decided to uh, add exposure to some of our internet holdings when the fall in share prices appeared to be excessive during peak uh, negativity. Again, a testament to our contrarian investment framework. Uh, And uh, with regard to the second part of the question, is there a prospect of further political intervention. We do think uh, the tide has turned. We have seen more supportive stance from the government on the platform economy. Uh, We have seen the resumption of gaming approval in China and talks about some of the big internet IPOs coming back to the market as well.
0: As well as target and growth, the trust also pays a dividend. It has an enhanced dividend yield of around 4.6%. Could you explain how that yield is enhanced?
2: Yes, of course. Uh, so the board has agreed to this enhanced dividend payment policy with the aim to pay annual dividend equivalent to 4 percentage point of the company's NAV. Uh, the dividends would be paid from a combination of revenue as well as capital reserves. Uh, this ensures our shareholders will receive a regular income. And given that trust is trading at a discount to the NAV right now, so we have seen a higher than 4% dividend yield.
0: I wanted to next move on to performance. Um, I mean, if you look at the trust performance over both the short and long term, it, it does stand out and, you know, it has outperformed the MSCI All Country Asia ex Japan Index. What would you say over both the short and long term, the main performance drivers have been?
2: Uh, I think the, our investment philosophy and uh, our valuation discipline have definitely contributed to the short-term as well as long-term outperformance of the trust over the uh, benchmark index. The team has definitely uh, dedicated to bottom-up fundamental analysis, which has helped us to pick the right individual stocks to own. And, and Ian Hargreaves who is a, a fund manager of the trust, uh, he has been a fantastic fund manager making the right sector and country allocation decisions. So I'm very, very excited to work alongside Ian to generate good return for our trust shareholders in the years to come.
0: You mentioned earlier that um, China's stock market is looking particularly cheap at the moment. And I think, you know, by extension, the rest of Asia is looking um, cheap by historic standards. And the investment trust that you manage, it's trading on a discount of over 10%. Um, why do you think that is?
2: Um, actually, I think this is just like a summer sale providing great opportunity to investors uh, to invest in the trust. And the reason behind this discount is a general pessimism towards investing in Asian equities, given concerns on global recession risk, uh, COVID lockdown in China, and the perceived regulatory risk uh, that we discussed earlier and geopolitical tension between um, uh, China and the US. Many of the risks have been priced in the market. The Asia X Japan uh, index uh, forward uh, price to earning multiple is trading a uh, very attractive level at 11.5 times, versus the United States is trading at 16 times, while the growth prospect of Asia is actually higher as compared to the US. And the dividend yield is also much more attractive as compared to uh, the US as well. So I do think it's a great opportunity to invest in Asia and taking advantage of this uh, attractive discount that. The trust is trading on right now to invest in the trust.
0: And finally, a question that we ask all four managers that we interview Do you have skin in the game?
2: Uh, yes, of course. Both Ian and I have been investing into the trust uh, for however long that I remember. And we do truly believe in skin in the game. We will make the best investment decision for ourselves as, all, as well as all our trust holders.
0: Fiona, thank you very much for your time today.
2: Thank you, Carl, for your time.
0: That's all we have time for for today. hope you've enjoyed listening. You can check out the rest of our Funds Fan series on ii.co.uk and you can also like and subscribe. Next time, we'll be joined by Cormac Weldon, who is the Fund Manager of the Artemis US Smaller Companies Fund and you can check out the next episode in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, see you then.